you always see the stereotype of a skinny, white, androgynous person with a short haircut. But, you know, that's not that's not the default. You're going to meet queer folks of every different shape, size and color. And so the second that people start getting used to that factor, more people will be valued and equity is easier to be reached. You're going to love this. This is Fluid Truth and I'm attorney Shirley Skyers-Thomas. We explore a simple question of what equity looks and feels like from varying perspectives. The content offered in this segment is personal reflection and interpretation. The views of my guests are not necessarily the views of Fluid Truth or Quinnipiac University. For clarity, this conversation has been edited. My guest today is Elliot Harrell. Elliot graduated with their BA in Theater and Peace and Justice Studies from Fairfield University. They're an advocate for trans and queer rights. We discuss the intersection of race, gender, and sexuality in the queer community. It was an amazing conversation, and you got it right here at Fluid Truth. Welcome to Fluid Truth. My guest today is Elliot Harrell. This is going to be a great conversation for many, many reasons. But Elliot, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to talk to you. How are you doing today? I'm good. Hi, everyone. My name is Elliot Harrell. I'm 22. I identify as trans non-binary and bisexual, and my pronouns are they, them, and theirs. Fabulous. So you just cut to the chase. I don't even have to ask any questions. I feel like you're just going to run this interview or this conversation. (laughs) But the point of the conversations that I like to have really starts with how do you see equity? How has equity shown up in your life? Or maybe more importantly, how has it not shown up in your life? So see if you can walk me through what that looks like for you. And um, if there's any additional background you want to share. And of course, I love a good story. And I'm all about a good story. I think our stories matter. But um, tell me, how do you see equity? How has it shown up for you? Oh, equity as a queer person. That's what I like to describe myself a lot of the time because my identity is multifaceted and fairly complicated. I like to use the word queer to describe myself quite a lot, but equity as a queer person is like the fight that we're always having, you know, to make sure that we are represented in spaces that we feel valued and we feel equal. Um, A big thing for me in the search for equity, especially like within my own journey and my own coming out story was, you know, really recognizing and being okay with, not fitting into society's standards and just being okay with that. And, you know, these days I'm very happy to be visibly queer, visibly out and proud, but, you know, sometimes that is a detriment. Sometimes it it does come at a cost. There are times where, you know, I do have to go back into the closet for my safety because I'm out in circumstances or I'm out in situations where it's not always the best to be loudly and proudly queer, even though that is such a big part of who I am. So talk to me a little bit about um, when is a detriment to you? What does that look like? What are those circumstances? And by the way, did we mention that you are a Black individual? So you have a couple different aspects that make you, you know, noticeable when you walk down the street. Yeah, I know it may be a little bit difficult to tell by the way I speak. But yeah, I am, in fact, a a Black American, you know, walking around 2022 USA as queer as I am, it can, you know, sometimes be very dangerous, especially 
when I'm in situations where, you know, folks don't necessarily know how to address me or I see people starting to get uncomfortable or people or uh, parents might like grab their children and tell them not to stare or look away. And in that, in those situations, in those circumstances, it's safe for me to be like, oh yeah, no, no, no. I'm just a girl with short hair or no, no, no. Oh yeah. I'm just out with my boyfriend and we are a cis straight couple. I mean, there've definitely been circumstances and times where, oh, I remember I was in high school at a friend's birthday party. It was the end of the year. I think we might've been no more than like 15 or 16 and her family and her parents and Okay, let me backtrack a little bit. I like to dress in more of an androgynous style, you know. I like to mix it up, a nice balance between more traditionally feminine outfits and more traditionally masculine outfits. And this one, it was middle of the summer, so it's hot. So I'm in a more, like, masculine version of hot wear dress, hot weather dress. And so I'm out, I'm hanging out with my friends. It's great. We're celebrating my friend's birthday and... At the end of the party, we're all supposed to have a sleepover. And I noticed that her family is starting to look at me a little bit strange and start to like look at me and whispering to themselves and come to find out that they were a little bit uncomfortable with the idea of me being at their house for a sleepover because they thought I was a lesbian because I looked visibly clear, visibly queer. And so that was a situation and circumstance where I had to just put myself back in the closet and be, you know very open about the fact that I was uh, dating a male at the time. And so I just loudly and sort of awkwardly put it into conversation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My boyfriend said this and ah, ha, ha. This is no, I'm not a threat to your way of life. And no, I'm not going to do anything to your daughter. Or I'm not going to convert or you know, secretly be on the gay agenda. But it's, you know, it's little things like that, little microaggressions where folks are like, I'm not sure what you are, but you look queer and I don't like it. And that, you know, especially that happens a lot with being non-binary and being bisexual and looking the way that I do. Just sort of a, a big question mark. And I've learned that folks don't really like question marks. I think we have put our society in this place where we go to a default. And actually, you and I had this conversation before where you default to white, male, and Christian. And anything outside of that default is comes with these big question marks and no one knows how to take it. And I'm not sure. And I feel some kind of way with someone who is outside of that box presenting to me. So how does that um, impact you on the African-American side? So now there's an additional layer that I was making reference to before, but how does that impact you with all of this queer, bisexual, non-binary and now adding African-American to it, how does that impact you? It's it's so interesting, especially like, you know, when I turn to the black community, sometimes they have a harder time wrapping their brains around, you know, my identity and my blackness, like how they go hand in hand and how, you know, I've been, I've been discriminating every single aspect I can imagine, like on a racial level, on a like gender level, I've, I've gotten it all. And so... It's an interesting conversation when I talk to other black folks or when I speak to other uh, people of color and, you know, explain to them my identity and what's going on. Sometimes I do find that there's a little bit more of a pushback just because I find that 
the way that folks of color do process like differing identities and the the very like cultural aspect that is you know black masculinity and black femininity and how integral those are to you know black americans or black people as a whole to find somebody that doesn't necessarily fit the box and wants to sort of you know mosey in between the two and pick and choose is i it definitely sets me apart from a good chunk of the black folks that i meet but then there's also a huge community of queer people of color and you know those folks are the ones that really do get it and i made so many friends that have just i found within queer spaces and that solidarity of being like oh okay yeah you understand too that we're getting discriminated we're getting it on all levels so we have to make sure that we fight back not only for you know the the trans folks but for or for the queer folks or but for you know us as a whole for all the marginalized groups and you know it is pride month still technically and you know the or the pride festival was started you know because of the stonewall riots which was the work of a black trans woman so i think that there is both aspects to it you know there's there's the communities that have a little bit harder of a time wrapping their head around it because of you know the stereotypes that are within some of the black communities and then there's also a good handful of queer people of color that really do understand and they're like no we've been here from the start you can't get rid of us and i feel like you know a lot of the times especially on like the larger scale and like the the marketing and promotional world when you see stuff about queer folks you don't necessarily hear a lot about the queer people of color but we exist our voices are here we are loud and we are proud and we're fighting back to let you know that there is not one way to look queer non-binary people don't owe you androgyny i feel like when i think of a non-binary person you always see the stereotype of a skinny white androgynous person with a short haircut but you know that's not that's not the default you're gonna meet queer folks of every different shape size and color and so the second that people start getting used to that factor more people will be valued and equity is easier to be reached so you make a really good point and as you're talking about the different ways that you've been discriminated against or discriminated on i started to think are you picking a fight? Because you could potentially have so many aspects and elements to push back against, right? If you see discrimination in every form, you can push back in so many different aspects. It might get exhausting. Do you choose a fight? Personally, what do you like to do? Oof. It depends. Like there's definitely been times where I've been misgendered or, you know, I've had somebody assume my sexuality and, they are not worth the energy and the effort that it takes to educate people because as much as I would love for everybody to be on top of it and for everyone to know the other things, I can't be responsible for being everyone's teacher. You know, the people that are close to me and the people that I care about are the folks that I will sit down and take the time to explain stuff to. And, you know, I'll be like, I'll give you guys the benefit of the doubt and the chance because I care about you and I want you in my life. But if it's somebody that's, you know, just passing me by or like a random person in a shop or somebody that I meet at work that I'm never going to speak to again, they are allowed to be wrong. They don't need to know me. I also just don't want to be known by everyone so you can be wrong about a person you do not know that's totally that's all good by me that's a great point too to just a little bit of anonymity from everyone and knowing the intricacies 
of your life and your story, I think that kind of um, that can go a long way. Not necessarily to the point where you deny yourself, but you can deny access completely. And I feel that strongly about how I live my life and what's important to me. Everyone doesn't get access, right? It's a privilege to know me. Like not everybody is privy to that information. Come on, come on now. I love that. I love it. So talk to me a little bit about um, what you studied and how your studies impacted your way of thinking and even this equity conversation, your studies, how it impacted this. And I'll just make a note for, for our listeners that I am privy to a little extra information on this. So I do know that what you studied already, but I think it's a really interesting conversation. Please share it. Yeah. So I have a bachelor's of arts in theater with a minor in peace and justice studies. And the theater um, major is pretty self-explanatory, but the peace and justice studies is the one that, you know, kind of turns folks heads a bit more. And and I I have a bit more fun with it because uh, what it is, it's basically a subset of sociology that really just does deal with justice and equity and you know a lot of the things that you talk about in your podcast and how that relates to different aspects of people's lives so i took quite a few different sociology classes and you know like world religions classes or like women gender sexuality studies types of courses that all really focused on you know what justice looks like how we get there how we as the next generation or you know the leaders of the next next generation because technically i'm i i I heard there's another generation after Gen Z, totally aside from the point, but I think there's another one after us. So I, and I'm Gen Z, which is already, but yeah, the next, next generation. How are you Gen Z? And you just got here and there's another generation behind you. Okay. I feel old now, craziness. But yeah, how we, as you know, the current generation or how we really help shape how the next generation sees equity, sees justice, sees, you know, social change and you know what we can do to facilitate that and where that needs to start and that in tandem with my work in theater made for like commentary think pieces those are really what I liked doing a lot in my department I directed a show that was really focused on grief and grieving and it happened to hit right before the pandemic so I think that you know Theater and art and justice really has a funny way of making itself known at the right times. It's a real, real serious intersection there. And I think, you know, once you're able to take this heavy, heavy topic, by the way, I just love the title, Peace and Justice. That just sounds really cool. It's, but it's you a take fun this, one. <laughs> you take this really significant body and then you add it to a piece of work and you have something that's really um, impactful. So I like that that intersection right there. So what is your intention on, I dare not say that you need to be a billboard or you need to be someone on the front lines pushing for everything, but what's your intention on, on kind of educating those who are around us, educating our society, just showing up for all for the cause of equity? What's your intention? Yeah, I mean... Honestly, the way that I do it now is just being authentically and proudly myself. And, you know, I used to be a teacher, so I would, you know, be in class and have my students ask me about myself and about my identity. And I would never lie to them because I want them to know that queer folks do exist and queer adults do exist. And if that's something you're thinking about, that's totally fine. And, you know, just showing up and being there and, you know, allowing them to question and allowing them to be like, well, wait, can I still call you miss? Like, is that okay? And I'm like, you know, you, you, 
that's totally fine as long as you are being respectful to me. And, you know, just really hammering down, at least when I was teaching, that respect is the name of the game. And as long as you are trying and you are being respectful, that goes a long way. And most people can appreciate that, even if you do mess up some things. So. And as you mentioned, being in those spaces where like you're teaching or there are other people that you're sharing your your authentic self with and being really transparent about your identity, did you receive pushback? So not only in in the teaching aspects, but where have you received pushback? Because I'm assuming that you have. I feel like I've been fairly lucky in the way that I haven't had too much pushback. I've mostly had people you know, welcoming me with open arms or just being like, huh, okay, I've never heard of that. That's pretty, that's new. Okay. But there've definitely, you know, been some folks that have been like, what? That's, that's not a thing. I'm sorry. I I won't be calling you that. And those are people that I do not keep in my life that I do not interact with more than I need to, because I, I don't want to waste my energy on somebody that clearly doesn't respect me and respect is a two way street. And I will, you know, I'm never going to go out of my way to be like unnecessarily rude to somebody, but if you don't respect me, I'm not going to put any extra effort in. And so, yeah, I've, I've definitely had that happen or at least in like a school or like a working environment. I've had folks that just truly do not understand, don't really want to put the effort in to understand further. And I'm like, okay, you are stuck in the past nothing I say is going to change that. So you're not somebody that I need to keep in my life that I need to be around more than necessary. Like if we need to work together, fine, we can do that. We can be civil, but don't expect me to want to be your friend. If you don't want to put in the basic effort to at least be respectful, because I think in those situations, it just boils down to a lack of respect. Like if you told somebody that your name was Anna and they start calling you Stevie Joe. And you correct them a couple times and you're like, hey, no, sorry. You must be reading the paper wrong. My name's actually Anna. And they continue to call you Stevie Joe. That's just disrespectful. And you don't have to be friends with people that are mean to you or disrespectful to you. It's not necessary. Nope. There is no requirement for that. And I completely agree. So, in falling back in this whole conversation is informing this, but just to drill down a little further. Where do you feel the most challenged to um, to navigate the field of equity? I mean, you have all these different labels and I don't want to even get caught up in that. But just as an individual, where do you feel the most challenged? Um, honestly, and this has been something that I've been working at, you know, since I've come out is. And this is something I didn't realize until after I'd come out, that the coming out never stops. And so sometimes just having to advocate for yourself and make sure that you walk into the room and people know, oh, hey, no, I know I look like this, but please do not let looks deceive you. And, you know, making sure that I do advocate for myself, that I do show up for the room, but also for myself and that I honor myself and my identity. And I don't allow myself to be, you know, squished down or talked over or, you know, categorized as something I'm not. And it becomes really difficult when it's with people that you know knew me before or have known me for a long time trying to have those conversations and make sure that people know and that you know they don't feel disrespected or lied to or like conned in any way 
And it's just some new information that they might not have been privy to because I wasn't necessarily privy to it until, you know, I was in my early teens. So it was more of a challenge having and navigating these conversations for people who knew you before. Is that what I'm catching? So new friendships, new associations, you are able to set the ground rules. You're able to, to, you know, request how you interact and kind of set that standard. But it's the older folks, not, not older in age, but the older associations. Yeah. Yeah. With those people that have known me for since before I came out or since before, you know, I've been going by Elliot, it's always difficult to try to re-navigate what those boundaries look like so that I make sure that I am honoring both them and our relationship and, you know, keeping them involved because, you know, somebody I care about and people I care about deserve to know what's going on in my life, but that I also feel, you know, respected and heard. And if somebody's like, I can't see you this way, then, you know, it's a, it's a difficult conversation I have to be like, oh, okay, you were denying a part of my identity. This means that there now has to be some distance because I owe it to myself to do better. And, you know, you owe it to yourself to believe what you believe. And I I really do feel that everybody is entitled to their opinions. Some opinions, unfortunately, do just conflict. And those folks, I guess, just shouldn't be, shouldn't, might not want to be as close. I got you. I got you. So has there been any one or ones and without necessarily naming names or being too specific that you've had to cut out of your life? Not necessarily like completely cut out of my life, but there have been people that I've had to really reel myself in for because I've told them, you know, hey, actually, can you call me by this name instead? Sometimes with with folks that I know are already going to be a difficult conversation, I don't even mention the pronouns because sometimes the pronouns really do throw people off. I'm like, we can at least be respectful and use my name. But even then the folks that, you know, have a little bit difficulty with that, it's just, oh, okay. I guess I can't, I guess I won't be calling as much because I don't want to hear you call me the wrong thing or, you know, I was going to say it's, yeah, it's definitely more of a, of a shutdown. I've, I remember when I was, you know, coming to terms with this in high school and, you know, we were, we were high schoolers then it really boiled over in a couple of days, but I had somebody look me in the eyes and say, no, I don't actually think that's what you are. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and then we didn't, we didn't speak for a week because I was really upset and really hurt. And it took them a second to really realize, you know, what they said and that it wasn't okay. And that I I had to basically be like, you really hurt my feelings. You just, it felt like you were calling me like a liar. And, you know, I, this is something that I trusted you with and that really hurt my feelings. And, you know, we were able to move past it and we're still, you know, fairly good friends, but it was, it's definitely something that can happen. And there's always a conversation that I'm dreading, but prepared for anytime I do have to come out. And like I said before, the coming out never stops. So there's always an off chance that, yeah, that somebody I mean, is not going to understand. Um, and in in you saying so, it just seems like it could be exhausting. There could be this point at which you're like, no new friends, <laughs> and maybe no old friends. You know, just those who understand. I just have to stay in this little circle. 
I'm not certain what my own personal reaction would be to having to rehash a conversation like that over and over and over again. I feel exhausted easily about a number of things, being a black woman, being able to have to always explain microaggressions, having to always, you know, identify that sometimes situations are difficult and navigating situations is, is difficult. And that's exhausting for me. So I just wonder how it has been for you to have to, you know, the coming, coming out never stops, as you said. How has that been for you? The likeness that the way that I can think that you might understand it as, you know, a mother and somebody who's been pregnant before is every time you walk into the room, everybody swarms you and it's like, oh my goodness. Oh, let me rub your belly, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, can I just walk into the room? Can I just like go to the grocery store? Can it not be a spectacle, an event every time I meet somebody and they're like, oh my goodness, you're, you're non-binary. Oh, what? What does your family think? Are they okay with it? Oh, what does your partner think? Does he care? Like, oh, what are you going to do with X, Y, and Z with your life? How, like, how does this make, what is, what's your body doing? And I'm like, guys, guy, what? Can you like buy me a milkshake first? And that's actually a really good example because I, I can hear and feel that just like, okay. I'm good. I'm good. Just give me a second. Just give me a second. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just like, I just wanted to go get something from, go get a glass of water. Okay. And now this is a, tell me everything. How far along are you? What's the, do you have any names yet? And you're like, this is, this is a longer conversation story that I was prepared for. I just thought you were being nice or something. (laughs) I get you. And I could only empathize to the extent to which, you know, you have this conversation over and over. Um, I'm glad you do, though. I think we haven't gotten there as a society or a community. So this aspect that, you know, we have in the moment experiences that can move us along because you know, you already know, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and I say that all the time, just to juxtapose that it was a different world when I grew up. So for us to be able to have something to move us progressively in a new direction, I think is phenomenal. And it should not be any one person's responsibility, but I'm really glad that you are a part of the change that's moving forward. You know, as somebody who grew up in the 70s and 80s, I'm sure that you were probably spend a lot of time being the only black person in the room or being somebody's first black friend. That is the experience that I have right now as somebody's first trans friend or somebody's first queer friend. And it's exhausting. As somebody who's lived it, you know, it's exhausting, but it's the work that you need to do to get this, to get society where it needs to be. But it it does get tiring. For many years, I was the only black girl in class the only black friend. And I say friends in quotes. I mean, your kids and your associated, but you're the only, you're the only point of reference. So one, that's a lot of pressure. So that meant that in my regular personal experience, anything I did was a reflection on the black community. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm just one little girl or one teenager or one 20 year old. I don't want to hold the responsibility of your whole experience and interaction just based on me. But have you experienced similar? Yeah, it's definitely been people's first. And especially like I came out of the closet 13, I think 13 or 14. And so 
I've had quite a quite a few people come to me with their gender identity journey or their journey with their sexuality as a point of reference to be like, you are the only queer person I know or the only queerest person that I feel safe talking about this with. Like, can we can we have this dialogue? Can we have this conversation? And you know, with the work that I did in my studies, it's something that I love talking about and I, you know, love how helping people, you know, realize those things, but it's also can be exhausting when it's another conversation of, oh, this person doesn't know any queer people. Elliot, can I give them your number so that they can like talk to you about this thing? Or, you know, they're not really sure what to do. Or I've had, you know, friends in high school that have been like, so how did you do it? How did you tell your parents? Like, you you bought this item first. Like, how did that work? Like, or what does that mean? And I, I'm just like, this is my single singular lived experience i can help as much as i can but i'm one person with a limited perspective so take that with a grain of salt like i can't speak for the entire trans community or the entire queer community but i can i can do my best to be you know a good ally and a good piece of support but and when you say you can't speak for um the entire trans or or non-binary community or queer community you can't and you should not even be expected to. So I remember in, in similarly, um, after the world blew up in 2020, you know, a host of terrible things happened. One being the most prominent of many people's memory is George Floyd and him being murdered right on in, in national TV for all to see. And I had a good number of people approach me um, to say, how can they help as a, a white person of male or female? I am a black woman. Surely, how can I help? Surely, I didn't know. Surely, I didn't understand, which is fine. I, I do get it. And I'm glad to stand in that space and offer input or support or what, whatever it is. But it's also not my responsibility, as you said earlier, to educate the masses. We have so many resources out there. So how does that work for you? Do you Google feel like you is are- free. <laughs> and Google is still my best friend in so many instances. But my computer science teacher told me this the first day of our class freshman year. He looked us in the eyes and he said, Google is your teacher. And those words have never been more true. <laughs> but honestly, it's gotten to the point where I have a PowerPoint made. You know, I have a PowerPoint ready and available to educate folks because I get asked this so often. I've been being asked this since I was 15. So I've had a PowerPoint ready that whole time. That is seven years worth of a PowerPoint. I mean, that's some good information. But I mean, it's good, it's vital and it works. It does. It's very effective at, you know, quickly getting through my spiel. But, you know, I have a spiel at this point. And you have a PowerPoint. That's the funniest thing to me. You literally have a PowerPoint. (laughs) Yeah. And for anyone who hasn't been able to identify connection, Elliot is my child. So if there's not been identification of Shirley Elliot, that's what it is. We are really related by blood and by family. And I mean, in having this conversation with you, I am so glad that you can illuminate this lens and this perspective because there's a lot of times, like I was saying before, I look at things through my own experiences and through my lens, but that's why we have the conversations to really get a sense of what's each other's story and how does this impact you and how does the way that we're living today impact your life on a regular old daily basis, on a regular old Tuesday, wearing your Tuesday outfit, you know what I'm saying? So 
to run this through your lens and your perspective is really valuable. We still have a lot of work to do. And I say that a lot, but I mean that so deeply that we have a lot of work to do. But Ellie, I'm going to put a pause here because I could just sit here and pick your brain and ask you all sorts of questions. But thank you so much for talking with me. It's nice to see you on the show. I'm so glad that you've lent your voice and your story to the archives of important stories about equity. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much for having me come on and letting me ramble about things that I'm pretty passionate about, things that mean a lot to me. It's a real deal. It's a real deal. All right. Love you. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Later, Mom. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening in today. Special thanks to our producer, Raynette Shafu and executive producer, David DeRoche. Shout out to the Fluid Truth crew for their assistance. That's Jillian Catalano and Jake McCarthy. Music is provided by Audio Hero from their Jazz Lounge album. To learn about all of our podcasts, visit qu.edu slash podcast. You can listen to our podcast on the platform or app of your choice. Be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at qpodcasts. If you have a story to share or something you want to talk about, find us on social media or shoot us an email. The address is qupodcast at qu.edu. All right. That's it for today. Till next time.